So, Matt, I recently picked up a new hobby. I've been trying to impersonate a flamingo. Well, what do you what do you stand on one leg or something? Yeah, uh, Ashley's gotten a little tired of it though, so she told me I had to quit impersonating this flamingo. So I had to put my foot down. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm pretty good, man. Good. Uh, can't complain. Nobody yeah. to listen. Well, that's true. We'd, we'd ignore you anyway, so no use in complaining. <laughs> I got an open mic right here. I can complain all I want. <laughs> and I can edit it right out, too. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network and proud to be associated with the shows there. So you can go over there, podbelly.com, and check out the list of shows and you might find you something that you really like um hopefully you still like us more but you know you can find another one uh we want to thank tonight's sponsors amc shutter and hello fresh we'll talk a little bit more about them throughout the episode um we also will talk about the crime salad podcast coming up here in just a minute um good podcast we'll talk about them shortly um while you're googling and you know following up research on this episode go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and you can sign up to become a patron uh, we have three different levels for our ten dollar a month patrons you get the video version of our all of our episodes that we do um, so you can see the new backdrop that i put in we have a little bit of banter usually in the beginning of the episode that i cut out for the audio or just little mistakes and funny things that happen throughout the episode that I'll cut out, they go in the Patreon version. So if you want that, plus video versions of our Patreon episodes and all that, go become a $10 a month member. Um, But we also have a $1 and $5 member, and every little bit helps. So don't think, Mm. well, I, I can only do $1 a month, so... You know, I, 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 it's not even worth it. No, it really helps uh, the dollar a month people. I mean, I, we're just as thankful for you as we are everybody else. Um, and you know, if you go well, I can only do it for six months or something, and then I may be stuck, and I don't want to be in a quote unquote contract. You can cancel your thing and come back. You know, it, it's not, it's not like you have to be stuck for two years or something like that. Just Sign up, get a couple months in. You can pause it, come back to it later. Yeah, we're not like uh, the cable company or something. Right, right. <laughs> and and we're not going to call you about extended warranties for your vehicle or anything like that. Um, but think you'll like it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Graveyard Tales. While you're listening to us, do us a favor and share an episode or two of Graveyard Tales. Share it with 
friends, family members, share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever. And that will really help us because word of mouth is the biggest way that Matt and I can reach new people. Um, You know, advertising is fine, but we don't advertise on TV or anything like that. So we don't have an outlet besides our listeners. And you guys are great about sharing, great about inviting people into the Facebook group. Um, So keep doing that. But share an episode or two. You can hit the share feature on whatever pod catcher you're using and then share it right to social media um, or share our post where we post about the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that helps so much. It just, it, it just gives, lets people give the show a chance. Right. Um, and you know, Hey, it, it's not for everybody, but, um, we want to, we want to get as many people in here as we can. It just, it just makes everything, uh, a little bit better when we have more people from different areas to share experiences. So, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if you wanna if you wanna help us out, that's probably the easiest and cheapest way to do it. Yep, exactly. Um, like Matt said, we're probably not for everybody. You know, some people don't like humor mixed in with their scary stories. They want a straight up, you know, Dateline style scary story thing. But uh, you know, give us a shot. Let them uh, check us out a little bit. Um, Matt, I. I posted about this on Instagram. I didn't post about it on Facebook, but we went and did a ghost tour down in the stockyards of Fort Worth last weekend. So that was fun. Um, It was a gift to me from Ashley. So I I loved it, Um, but it was put on by the Cowtown Winery. Um, I wanted to give them a shout out because they did a great job and they're um, their guide that they had, she was awesome. She knew the history. She knew the ghost stories. She was, you know, very personable. She was funny. So it fit in with kind of how we do our ghost encounters and stuff like that. She mixed humor in. So that was really cool. Um, but Cowtown Winery there in Fort Worth, if you're ever around that area, you should sign up and go do a ghost tour with them. They have a couple different ones. I think they have like a seven o'clock and an eight o'clock. So you can do two different things and it it's only about an hour, but you get to get a drink at the Cowtown winery there. You can grab you a, a wine or a beer or something and, or a frozen alcoholic beverage. They have non-alcoholic beverages too, but you can walk around, do the ghost tour while you're, drinking your wine. It's really cool. Um, They take you to a couple different places in there. They tell you a quick synopsis of the history of that building. And then they tell you about the ghost encounter. So it's really cool. You get to go in one of the places and uh, one of the places was a hotel with a elevator that's supposedly haunted. They get a bunch of orbs. I didn't see any orbs in my photos um, so it wasn't as dusty <laughs> as it may have been for other people. Um, but apparently it's gotten stuck with people on there before and there's no mechanical reason 
you know, so the ghost is sticking people in the elevator. But it's the same hotel that Bonnie and Clyde stayed at when they were in Fort Worth trying to figure out how to rob the bank there in the stockyards. Well, how um, cool. Yeah. So it, um, really cool. They tell you about the room that they stayed in, what number, so you can even go stay in that room if you want. And apparently Bonnie and Clyde ghost have been seen in this hotel. Um, one of the places that was on the tour, I told Matt, we need to do an episode on. So we're going to look into doing an episode on that. But I just wanted to shout them out the ghost tour with Cowtown Winery there in Fort Worth. Check them out if Very you can. Cool. Highly recommend that. Very cool. And, you know, Bonnie and Clyde ghosts, they get around. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> We've talked about other places that Bonnie and Clyde stayed during their yep. uh, their run yep. and that they think it's haunted by their ghosts. Man, so. if you can, they have apparently the best afterlife um, uh, <laughs> tour guides or, or travel agents or whatever you want to call it. Uh, because yeah, they, they get around and that's the way to do it. If you're, if you've passed on to the other side and you're still hanging around, why not? Don't, don't stay in yeah, one place. Go see it. Go see everywhere. Yeah. Go visit if favorite spots while you're alive. Go check them out. All right. So as we mentioned in the intro, let's take a second and let's talk about a podcast that you guys need to check out. We want to talk about the Crime Salad podcast. Now, Crime Salad debuted in January of 2019, and they're scripted 40-minute episodes or so, so give or take a few minutes. They're about 40 minutes. Um, the hosts are husband and wife, Ashley and Ricky, and what they do, they jump right into the story, so there's no opening talk like a lot of shows do. They just jump right into the story and go. And they are a true crime podcast, and they investigate sudden disappearances, mysterious deaths, unsuspecting massacres, and more. So if you like our topics, you will like Crime Salad. Yeah, a few of the cases they've covered, um, episode uh, COVID Alibi, which dives into the brutal murder of Gretchen Anthony that happened in March of 2020. Her family began to become concerned when the last text anyone received from Gretchen said she was being transferred to a CDC COVID site and would be placed on a ventilator, unable to communicate. After a well check at her home by law enforcement, it became clear that someone was using COVID as an alibi to cover up a horrific crime. That's crazy. Or, yeah, or you could check out TikTok Murder Star. Tony Baird's life was taken in a violent and jealous rage by someone who professed to love her forever. Someone who couldn't work out her demons or insecurities without destroying someone beautiful. They cover all the cases and true crime tales we're all craving to learn about. So if any of these stories intrigue you, we recommend listening to Crime Salad. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Matt, that's all I got. So, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? All right. So, in October of 1903, um, several respected members of a small Iowa community told a story of a mysterious winged creature that terrorized some of the town's residents uh, across several nights uh, it, it, during the week. 
and descriptions of this creature uh, say that it had large bat-like wings. It left a terrible stench wherever it went. And even weirder is it fired a, a beam of bright light from its forehead. So tonight, Adam and I are going to dig a little deeper into the Van Meter Monster. Mm-hmm. And we've we've talked about the Van Meter Monster in a couple of other shows, um, but we never really expounded a whole lot on it. So we're we're going to try to do that tonight. Right. And uh, like Matt said, it's called the Van Meter Monster, or you might see it as the Van Meter Visitor, mm-hmm. um, depending on the source. So either one of those, it's the same cryptid creature that we're going to be talking about. Um, but as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all our information, um, the articles that we're reading from, and the people who said the quotes and all that. They will be down in the sources. So go down there, bottom of the show notes. Now, the Van Meter Visitor, like Matt was saying, it's a pterodactyl bat-like creature. And it supposedly stopped in for a short period of time there in Van Meter, Iowa. Um, Like Matt said, first seen September 29th or so, 1903. And then it had a little stint um, where it hung around for several days. Um, now, Van Meter, Iowa is a small town in Des Moines um, in the metropolitan area there that had a population of just over 400 in 1903. And we'll discuss more about the population here shortly. Um, now, it was the fall of 1903 and several of Van Meter's most prominent men were about to encounter the strangest sight of their lives. The monster came out at night. It stood about nine feet tall or so. And they say it had wings like a bat, which, I mean, pterodactyls, if you looked at them from a distance, you might even say that they had bat-like wings because that's mm-hmm. what we what we know. And so that's kind of what we say is a, a comparison to it. Not many people would go, oh, well, that, that looks like pterodactyl wings because you're not 100% sure that you've seen a pterodactyl wing, but you know you've seen bat wings. So Right. Um, now, like Matt said, there was a horn on its head, which is not a normal thing that we see in flying creatures nowadays. Um, and this horn apparently did shoot a beam of light, and it was used in particular ways, which get into in the encounters section here, but um, witnesses claim that it had a distinct odor that stayed around after it left and that it moved at impossibly fast speeds. So the smell, we have talked about that with several creatures, um, most notably Bigfoot or Sasquatch, um, that this cryptid leaves a scent behind or that you can smell them before you see them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've even discussed significance of smells in, I forgot what episode, maybe our, uh, um, I, I can't remember the episode, Matt, but we, uh, we talked about the different smells, whether it be sulfur smell or mm-hmm. something, but 
smell is a big component of cryptozoological and paranormal encounters in general. Right, right. Yeah, I think we were we were talking about how memory and things are associated closer with smells than anything mm-hmm. else than yep. any any other sense you know and that's you true hear see touch that smells have a have a stronger memory response yep and it does i mean you know you can smell something and it takes you back 30 years mm-hmm. so when you were uh, you know a teenager or a young kid and you're like oh that smells like granny sue's house or you know uh, yeah. and so it it is it sticks in your mind a lot more um now here's a quote from an investigator named chad lewis which matt will discuss more but it says quote it was an era when anything was possible science was starting to gain momentum in fact they had just discovered the mountain gorilla so the beast in the jungle was real people were open to the fact that anything could happen mm-hmm and that's something else we talked about, Matt. The the mountain gorillas not being discovered until the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. And that ties in to what we've talked about. Well, if they didn't find it till then, how come they say we can't find something else new? You right. know, a new creature that's large, since that relatively isn't that long ago. And he's saying, because they just found this, people were like, oh, there is stuff out here, large creatures that we haven't seen. So it made them more open to seeing this creature and believing that it was a real creature. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you find something new like that and, you know, word begins to spread. It, It does. It makes you think. Hey, if it took us this long to find that thing, you know, then then there's no telling what else mm-hmm. is out there that we haven't found yet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now we got to look uh, briefly at the history of Van Meter. Um, and Matt and I were were discussing this before um, the mics were on. The history of Van Meter is. Let's say there's a, a dearth of information. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you get some brief history, and I'm going to talk briefly about the history. But if you search history of Van Meter, 99.99% of your searches are going to be about the Van Meter visitor. Mm, true. And with it being as small a town as it was, it doesn't seem like there was anything else that happened in this town that was worth anybody writing down. Yeah, that that's, that's pretty accurate as far as, well, you know, what I found as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we had access to maybe the city records, if you, if we could go to the records department and look through their records, I'm sure we could find more and there would probably be a large amount of information, but it probably wouldn't be anything worth putting here because it would be just standard small town information. You know, we built a school here and then Susie and Bill got married. They were child childhood sweethearts. And, uh, you know, it, it would be typical 
small town gossip and stuff. Mm -hmm. But according to the United States Census Bureau, the city has a total area of 1.3 square miles, of which 1.28 square miles is land and 0.02 square miles is water. That is a small town. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just small in population. Right. 1.3 square miles is the total area of Van Meter, Iowa. Now, Van Meter is situated west of Des Moines, just south of Interstate 80. So if you know anything about Iowa, you can probably figure out where that is. And the city was named for Jacob Rhodes Van Meter, who was a local settler in the area. Now, I got a little excerpt from the uh, History of Dallas County, Iowa, that was published in 1879 by the Union Historical Company of Des Moines, Iowa. It says, Van Meter was first settled in its present form by the following order, made January 4th, 1869, as shown by the records. Quote, ordered that a portion of Congressional Township number 78, range 27, now included in the township of Boone, and all the portion of said Congressional Township number 78, range 27, aforesaid now included in Adele, be detached from said township of Boone and Adele, and that the whole of said township, 78, range 27, shall constitute a new township to be called and known as Van Meter Township, and it is further. Ordered that William Ellis be appointed to post notices of the organization of said township of Van Meter in pursuance of the statute in such cases and made provided. Um, so I've got a little more, but there's no point in going through the rest of it because it's just setting up the town. Um, but that's basically saying that Van Meter, number 78, range 27, I don't know why they said it as many times as they did, but now I know that it's township number 78, range 27, and I will probably never forget that. Um, Van Meter was actually pulled from, it was part of Boone and Adele at Mm -hmm. one time. And in 1869, it was broken apart. They set new boundaries and they allowed it to be its own township and they called it Van Meter. So, That happened a lot back in the 1800s and probably 1700s and early 1900s where they were. It's basically like redistricting now, but not in a voter way in a we're going to make a new town kind of way. They were redrawing lines and getting things set up. Now, it says Van Meter Township has the honor of the first settlement in Dallas County being made within its present bounds. So it already had its bounds in Dallas County. And then this was the first one to break away and become its own township within that county. Now, I mentioned that the population was just over 400 when the incidents that Matt's about to discuss took place. But I wanted to take a short look at a snippet of the growth of the town just to kind of know how fast or not so fast that Van Meter grew. 1900, population 407. 1910, 386. 1920, 358. 
19,400. So it dropped and then it came back up. 40 was 436. 50 was 364. 60 was 385. 1974, 64. 1980, 747. 1990, 751. In 2000, there was only 866 people in this town. In 2000. Still a small town. Still a small town. 2010 was 1,016. And the most recent census in 2020 had only 1,484 people. Now, I have to say, 1,484 people in a 1.3 square mile area is a lot. (laughs) That's true. It's a small town, but it's very crowded. Exactly. I was going to say, it's small. In all senses of the word, but it probably feels a lot more crowded because of how many dang people they've crammed into Van Meter here. So I've never visited Van Meter, so I couldn't tell you if it feels crowded or not, but it just seems that way when you look at the scale and the population. Yeah, what I mean, whatever it's literally, it's just like just people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to a damn concert, you know, like zombie <laughs> movies where you just got all the zombies walking down the street. And- <laughs> it's not. I'm sure Van Meter is a pretty nice place. Um, but uh, we, we may even have some listeners from Van Meter. Yeah, you? yeah, I bet you we do, or at least outside of Van Meter, right yeah, outside. I'm sure we got some in Des Moines. Boone or Adele area. <laughs> But if you're from that area, um, even if, if I would say, even if you're from Iowa or any of the surrounding areas, you've probably heard of the Van Meter Visitor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like Adam said, if you search, if you just put Van Meter in a search engine, it it's going to come back with this. I oh, yeah. assure you, because oh, I yeah. did it. Um, <laughs> yep. But the, the story, um, of of the when the when the, the original uh, monster was seen, like I said, it lasts over a few days, uh, but it's it's very well documented to be mm-hmm. a legend. Okay, um, so I I decided well I I tell this I tell this story in uh, in our flying humanoids episode, um, but I'm going to tell it again with maybe a little more detail. Okay, so so this is essentially the legend of how it's documented. So again, we're in in the the fall of 1903. Um, this covers the last couple days in September into October. So on the night of September 29th, uh, a farm implement salesman named U.G. Griffith was returning late from his rounds when he saw something out of place. It was one o'clock in the morning in the town of Van Meter. Uh, it, it had long since gone to bed. It was, you know, everything was closed. Nothing was going on. Mr. Griffiths saw a light burning on top of a two-story Mather and Greg's building on Main Street. The light, he said, was so bright, it was like a beacon. Mr. Griffiths drew closer to investigate, and as he did, the light jumped across the street and landed on top of another building. And this pretty much just shocked Mr. Griffith. Um, shocked me too. So, 
Yeah. So he took a couple of steps closer and the light vanished. So the next night on September 30th, around the same time, this was just before 1230 a.m., uh, the local town doctor, Dr. Alcott, was uh, awoken from sleep in the back room of his office in downtown Van Meter by a bright light shining in his face. The source of the light was outside his window. Now, Dr. Alcott grabbed his gun and approached. What he saw pretty much scared him to death. It's like, but right in front of him on the other side of the glass was a creature, half human and half animal, with bat-like wings and a single blunt horn in the middle of its forehead. He said a piercing light emanated from the horn. And, you know, Dr. Alcott immediately raised his gun and fired five shots um, right into right at the creature and the creature vanished. OK, so now he's actually seen the creature, saw the light, now the creature, and he took a few shots at it. Now, the next night, October 1st, um, a bank teller by the name of Peter Dunn decided to take justice into his own hands by squaring off against what he believed could only be burglars um, trying to uh, formulate a hoax. Okay, so they're they're doing something to get the town riled up and they're most liable to rob the bank when everybody's distracted by the idea that there's this monster in town. So he decided he would stay in the bank armed and ready. So just after 1 a.m., he heard a strange noise outside his window. He said it sounded like uh, like gasping or, or gurgling or, or someone strangling or choking. So Mr. Dunn approached the window to see what was happening and was blinded by the bright light. He staggered, covered his eyes, and he said the light swept around the room. Said that's when Dunn got us got his first glimpse, you know, at the creature. Um, he raised his gun and fired, and again the thing vanished. Now, less than twenty-four hours later, hardware merchant O. V. White was asleep in his room over his hardware store on Main Street when he was awakened by a strange rasping sound. Now, he grabbed his gun, went to the window, and across the street, he saw something perched on the cross member of a telephone pole. So White raised his gun and fired. In the next instant, he was immersed in a glaring light. But simultaneously, he was overwhelmed by a noxious odor, and it kind of just knocked him back a little bit. That's a powerful odor. That's right. I mean, you ever smelled something so strong it just kind of took you took you back? You're like, whoa! Yeah, I went to I, high school with this guy who <laughs> pretty similar to that. He could knock you back, huh? Sweet guy, but dang! <laughs> what was it? His breath or his body odor? Or what? It was his body. Ugh. He just it was bad. You knew he was in the room. You smelled him before you saw him. Oh my god! Yeah, like I said, great dude. I was friends with him. 
but you know, just one of those knock you back. You can't stay too near him. So that was less like odor and more like oh dear. Yeah, oh, oh day high school. Adam, let's take a moment and talk about one of our long-term sponsors, Shudder. Now, when it comes to movies, I like them scary good, Mm -hmm. okay? And when I'm in the mood for a classic horror movie or a supernatural show, you know, we turn on uh, Shudder. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. Oh, yeah. I mean, Shudder has the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals from Hollywood favorites and cult classics to acclaimed new movies you won't find anywhere else. They're always streaming uncut and commercial-free. Now, they've got some new premieres coming out in June. Uh, That includes Mad God, which is the stop-motion epic uh, from visual FX legend Phil Tippett, who worked on Jurassic Park and Return of the Jedi. You know that'll be and, good. Hey, yeah, I, mean, I, I haven't, I have not seen it yet, but I'm, I've seen the trailer thing for it, and it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Seaside Creeper off season, starring House of the Devil's Jocelyn Donahue, all coming out in June. That's right, and on Shutter. There's an exclusive movie premiere every week, like Mom vs. Creepy Cult Chiller, The Twin, starring a Discovery of Witches, Teresa Palmer. So, Matt, that's one of your stars from A Discovery of Witches that you like. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And it would be fun to sit down with Mom and check that out and see if your mom <laughs> goes, yeah, I, I could I could have beaten them there. You know, I, I, I could have done that. And they've got a gore-filled outbreak horror, The Sadness, plus new episodes of Cursed Films and The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. And, you know, Matt, I, I've said before that one of the main reasons I like Shudder is because I can find all those B-horror movies that I like. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I used to collect them on DVD. And you remember my living room having a ton of DVDs in it. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. of them are all this B-horror that I picked up. I can get rid of that now. I just stream them on Shutter. All That's of right. the movies. I don't have to keep a, a bookcase full of DVDs, and, <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't beat it. And, and for the price, it's... I mean, imagine what you spent on all those DVDs. Oh, I know. I know. And uh, you can stream Shutter w- without our promo for only five ninety nine a month. So that's like half of one of those DVDs that I bought. Yeah. Um, but right now they have a movie there called Poltergeist. You may have heard it. You may have seen it. Uh, but late one night, ten year old Carol Ann Freeling hears a voice coming from the inside of the television set. At first, the spirits that invade the Freeling's home seem like playful children, but then they turn angry and when carol ann is pulled from this world into another steve and diane freeling turn to an exorcist in this horror classic from director toby hooper and producer steven spielberg i have always liked this movie matt and Mm -hmm. i'm I'm sure you have and it's just one of the many notable titles that they have on shutter so Shudder has everything supernatural, thriller, and horror, and Matt and I cannot get enough of it. And you're going to love it too. So right now, 
you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. All you got to do is go to Shudder.com and use our code GRAVE, the most apropos code that they have. <laughs> That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, code GRAVE. Yeah, so if you want to join Adam and I in, in watching all these fantastic horror, paranormal, thriller classics and more, all you got to do is go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, to get your first 30 days free. So, um, around the same time as this is going on, local merchant Sidney Gregg was awakened by White's gunshot. So Greg opened his front door and looked down Main Street and saw the monster perched atop the telephone pole. Now, he says it was at least eight feet tall with a beak like a bird, bat-like wings, and four legs. Now, as Mr. Greg stood watching, the thing lowered itself from the telephone pole in the manner of a parrot using its beak. So, you know, you ever seen a parrot kind of walk across a perch where it holds on with its beak or, yeah. you know, it works its yep. way down with its feet and its beak. Yep. Um, so that's what he says it was doing. Which, said, and, to jump in, Matt, that gives a little credibility to it being an actual creature. Right. To have that sort of movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? bird-like movement. Yep, exactly. Rather than some... Maybe it's a, a person or, you know, a, a humanoid or something. It, it's right. That gives more credibility to it. We're going to get into that uh, in just a minute. So just then the mail train came through town and it startled the monster and it crouched down like it was getting ready to, to spring. But instead, um, it flapped its wings and hopped away like a kangaroo. Hmm. Now, it says just briefly after that, it began to run, trotting along on all four legs. Then it extended its wings and it sailed away. So here, here now you've got Mr. White and Mr. Greg who just saw this and they're flabbergasted. They're like, what the heck did we just see? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So by now, after several nights of this, the town was pretty well in an uproar over what five of its leading citizens has witnessed. And I did see an interview where they were talking about Mr. Dunn, who was the bank teller or a, you know, he was, he was more than a teller. Um, he was kind of the boss of the town. He was the boss hog, so to speak. So it said that if, if Peter Dunn said that it happened, then it happened. You know, he made stuff happen in that town. So everybody looked up to him. Everybody trusted what he said. Uh -huh. Okay. So Van Meter was a mining town and the miners thought that the sighting could be related to some noises, some really strange noises they had heard coming from the mine in the last several days. 
So two days after the events of October 1st, mine director J.L. Platt Jr. was drawn to the open shaft by the same fearsome noises, which he later describes as, quote, though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth to battle. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty, pretty bad. I mean, it, it was, it was some terrifying stuff going on and these noises, they scared, they scared him pretty good. Mm-hmm. So he backed away and was suddenly struck by the sight of a bird-like creature emerging from the mine shaft. He said the thing had bat-like wings and a horn protruding from its forehead, out of which was a piercing light. Then a second creature emerged, smaller than the first, and both creatures flew away. Now, Mr. Platt gathered a group of armed men and stood watch at the mine, waiting for the monsters to return. They waited all night. And just before dawn, the creatures reappeared. The men opened fire. According to those who witnessed it, the reception would have sunk the Spanish fleet. So they unloaded everything they had into these two creatures. Right. But they said it actually only antagonized the monsters. And they, they let loose their strange rasping cries and released the noxious odor. Then they flew to the mine's entrance and disappeared inside. Huh. And at that point, that was that was it. Yeah. The the miners uh began to work and barricaded the mouth of the mine and the story just ends. They were the monsters were were not heard from or seen again and it it pretty much ends there. Okay. Until the 1980s. So in the 1980s, a man who had just moved to the area and had not heard about the legend was walking near the coal mine and reportedly saw a five foot long bat like creature fly over his head. Then in the 2000s, another man and his family were driving home to Van Meter when they spotted what they said was a giant bird-like creature dead on the side of the road. When the man went back to investigate, the creature was gone. Now, these stories were related to Chad Lewis, who Adam mentioned before, Uh who is a noted paranormal researcher and author. And he wrote about the Van Meter incident with uh, co-authors Noah Voss and Kevin Lee Nelson in 2013 in the book entitled The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. But Lewis says, just like these two accounts, people still report seeing the creature. Yep. So if we move forward a little bit to 2006, uh, Lewis says that there was a pastor waiting for a friend in Colfax, Iowa, and he spotted what he thought was a dragon in the sky. A dragon. That's an interesting description. Yeah. 
when he returned home, he Googled Iowa Dragon <laughs> and came across a picture of what he had seen, which was the Van Meter Visitor. Now, later in 2014, a couple camping in Iowa City reported an encounter with a giant bird. And I think, I, I can't be 100%, um, I think we talked about this during our Thunderbird episode because that one was more or less, they really thought it was a bird. Yeah. Um, but again, this thing sure does act like a bird, even mm -hmm. if it's, you know, if it's more of a creature, it sure seems bird-like with the wings um, and the beak and so forth. The way forth. it moves. Because yeah, even when moves. they said uh, they said it hopped like a kangaroo, mm -hmm. I mean, watch the birds out in your backyard. Right. They don't, you know, there's a few that strut like uh, vultures and whatnot. They'll strut around. Eagles will strut around. But for the most part, the birds that you see, they hop. Mm -hmm. They don't walk one foot after the other. So, yeah. again, that that's a bird uh, bird or flying creature habit to hop like that. Yeah. What if you saw a bird just walking like one foot in front of the other? Just like. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, like I said, there's some that do, but it's short distances. But, you know, you watch the sparrows and stuff in your backyard and they're bouncing like little kangaroos. I know. I know. But just like like they were like they were walking to work. Like, this was their daily commute. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those weird things. Carrying a briefcase. You don't think about it until you you, you think you, you imagine what it would be like if you saw something like that. You'd be like, what's so weird about that? It's like seeing somebody with no eyebrows. It's like you, <laughs> yeah. you can't really figure out what's wrong, but you're, you're going to take the next elevator. You yep. know, it's just one yep. of those things. <laughs> when you'd think, you know, well, that wouldn't be that weird to see somebody without eyebrows, but then you see it and you're like... No, that looks weird. Yeah. So. yeah. Something's not right. But finally, in 2020, just a couple of years ago, in Boone, Iowa, Lewis says that someone reported seeing another giant bird claiming that when it flapped its huge wings, all I could see was light, dark, light, dark. And it was a huge whoosh, whoosh, whoosh that they heard. Hmm. Um, don't mention the light. That that was one thing that none of these mention the light. Yeah. Um none of the newer sightings. Right. Um but you know they're uh 120 you know a 100 to 120 years later maybe the right. maybe the light went out. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it, maybe it burned out, they forgot to charge it. Doesn't have a um, new bulb or something. Yeah, couldn't 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 find an adapter to yeah. keep charging <laughs> it. I don't know. But um the there was apparently um talk of newish sightings like within the past year but mm -hmm. i couldn't find anything yeah on those. i i hadn't i didn't find anything here 2020 was the most recent one mm -hmm. um but if you if you listen to to chad lewis in some interviews um there are a lot more stories that maybe people don't necessarily report 
Um, there are stories that are, I don't know what I saw, but I saw something big. And because mm-hmm. I live in this area, I'm kind of making the assumption that it was the van meter monster. Right. Um, but just like with everything else, um, you know, you, you take a pretty good sized chunk of those and you pitch them because mm-hmm. it's misidentified. It's, you know, it, it's something that the perspective was wrong. Um, it just looks, it was something much smaller and it made it look much larger. Or it was the, the odd time of day. The lighting was weird, all those things. Um, but there's always, um, a, a nice little, little pile of them that you just can't categorize. And, right, you know, that's right. essentially what Lewis is saying, you know, um, and, and even if, if you say, okay, the, the van meter monster or whatever, didn't really exist it it kind of looks like that maybe there was something that it did exist and and maybe it's still around maybe it's evolved over a hundred years and it's a little bit different maybe it's a little bit smaller um but definitely could be something that's more bird-like um but what's interesting and and what separates the van meter visitor from a lot of cryptid sightings is that everyone who encountered the the monster in 1903 was someone that had a positive reputation in that town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it wasn't and, like the town drunk or anything. Right. So when you look at these guys, you know, you had the you know the the banker, you had the the guy that owned the hardware store, um, you had several other folks that were prominent members of this small community. Um, look, they had a lot to lose. Oh, I mean, sure. Probably even more so than somebody that would be in a much bigger town. Um, because in a, in a town of around 400 people, everyone knew everybody. Yeah. And knew their business and everything. And, and if you're Peter Dunn or OV white or Sidney Gregg, you don't want a lot of stories going around in this small community that you're off your rocker uh, Mm -hmm. or that you're trying to pull a big joke or a hoax on the town. Um, You don't need that because I mean, that that could ruin you just overnight. Nobody want to bank with you. Right. Or anything because they think you're crazy. Yeah. So, you know, these guys, they, they weren't going to come out and, and, and describe something so outlandish if they didn't see something, if they didn't have some type of experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked it up and, and yes, you know, f- flashlights were around, um, in those days, but the, but the flashlight, the original flashlight that was produced by the ever ready company, it, it wasn't like this big beam of light. It wasn't like, it was a mag light, you know, somebody shining around. Um, but the description sure makes it sound that way. I mean, the original flashlights were, they, they kind of flashed, um, you know, they weren't really like shooting out a beam of light. Right. Um, but you know that I kind of say that to lead into the idea that this could have been a person or persons dressed up and 
doing a doing a hoax. Okay. One of my problems with that, Matt, and you may have thought this too. I'm sure you did. Was if it's a hoax and it's somebody, are they wearing Kevlar? Right. Because they got shot multiple so, times. Yeah. So I don't. I think that right there nixes the thought that it could have been a person hoaxing it. Yeah. And the fact that they all report that at some point this thing flew away. Mm -hmm. You know, they saw two of them return to the coal mine in flight. If you believe all these miners, um, which I, I've got some ideas about that. I mean, I, I thought, okay, so let's say you do see this thing. You shot at it. It didn't seem to hurt it. Now you've got a town in panic. Okay. Maybe you come up with a story of how you trap it in a coal mine and it's not going to bother anybody anymore. Yeah. Um, so may maybe you tell, um, you know, the, the miners, uh, you know, and, and the, and the director of the mine, maybe you tell them, what if we do this? You know, what, what if we, what if we sell this story to the, to the public so that they'll quit panicking that something's going to crawl in their house at night and eat their children, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so they do something like that. I could see where that happens, but that, that only would explain the, the story that the miners tell about seeing it come back, shooting it, shooting at both of them, and then collapsing the mine entrance so that it can't get out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a, a thought off the top of my head of, you know, a small town is in a panic because these prominent members have seen something several nights in a row and actually shot at it. Um, you know, maybe they saw, maybe they saw a giant bird. Maybe, you know, maybe they saw something else. It still doesn't explain the light. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. The the light thing that anytime I, I read about the Van Meter visitors light, the first thing I thought of was the roping out of Papua New Guinea. That's right. Uh, because that's the only other flying cryptid that I know of that has gotten a lot of publicity that has a light. Mm. It Though the roping doesn't have a horn and it doesn't shoot the beam of light from the horn, it does have a light on its belly mm -hmm. and on its tail. And I think that's where we discussed bioluminescence in large animals uh, was when we were discussing the roping at one point. Um, so to me, it's possible if we're going to say that there is a large pterodactyl-like creature, then it's possible that somewhere along its evolution line that it developed bioluminescence in a way. But even bioluminescent creatures that we know of now don't shoot beams. Right. So I that, that kind of throws a kink into that, but it did make me think of the roping being another mm -hmm. flying pterodactyl with a light. Yeah. But then again, how do we know that 
pterodactyls when they were supposed to live back when the dinosaurs were around? How do we know they weren't bioluminescent? Yeah. We, we don't. We don't. In fact, I, I, I read this and I thought, well, you know, this is a really good point. It's what what we what we think of when we think of dinosaurs the images we you know picture in our head from t-rex or pterodactyl or whatever most likely are not accurate at all i mean yeah. they are literally just renditions of what scientists have been able to put together based on the bones that they have found and the fossils they have found that this is what they would have looked like, okay? There's no way to really know 100%. Right. You know, and then the, the artist like takes or not. The artist takes lizards or whatever that we have now and assumes that's the skin of these lizard-like dinosaurs. Right. And puts that on them. So it could be totally different. Yeah. Now, you know, I, just like every other person of my age, um, knows that dinosaurs have more in common with birds than they do with reptiles, thanks mm -hmm. to, you know, Dr. Alan Grant on <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's accurate. I mean, that's that's not made up. I mean, they, they do. They have many more traits that... Uh, you know, relate them much closer to modern day birds than they do to modern day reptiles. Um, w with the exception of maybe the alligator, but you're, you're talking about not just, you know, all the dinosaurs were all in this particular category and they were all like this. They looked a little bit different, but they all, they weren't. I mean, there were, there were multiple animals that just like there are now, that had all different characteristics. So, you know, the fact that some walked, some crawled, some swam, some flew, um, it's because they're all these different species. Yeah, they all lived around the time and they all get roped into the same dinosaur thing. But if you really know much about dinosaurs, they all lived in different periods. And sometimes you know, you'll see a picture of, of, of a T-Rex and some other type of dinosaur in the same picture. And you're like, well, those, according to what we know, those lived probably, you know, a million years apart. Mm -hmm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I digress the, the idea, I, I, I don't like the idea of, of a pterodactyl type creature existing for this length of time, but I I can get behind the idea that a an a, you know that that a pterodactyl or or something like that could be an ancestor of a large winged creature that has gone widely unnoticed um either because of you know there's a very small population of them or they they stick to mountaintops and 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 areas that are not populated so that they haven't been discovered because it's not just you know the van meter monster that we're talking about when we talk about winged creatures you know we did our, mm -hmm. our show about winged humanoids but just large winged anything 
All right, Matt. So let's take a second and let's talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh is one of Matt and my favorite meal delivery services. And with HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. And HelloFresh now has 30 dinner recipes to choose from every single week. That's the most choices of any meal kit. So think about that. When you're setting up your meals for the month, you've got 30 different options. How many times, Matt, have you sat down and said, I can, there's 30 different things I could make this week? Um, Yeah, never. Yeah, exactly. I don't have that many in my repertoire. (laughs) So that basically tripled what I can cook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're going away this summer, if you've got a trip planned, all you have to do is update your delivery address and enjoy HelloFresh on your vacation. Okay, just have them deliver it, you know, to your condo, to your cabin, to wherever, and you can keep right on enjoying your HelloFresh while on vacation. How Mm -hmm. cool is that? That is awesome. And discover seasonal summer recipes like cucumber salad stuffed pita pockets. Now, we we would all love that. Um, chicken sausage stuffed peppers, Tuscan spiced shrimp. Wow. And so much more. Now, you can also check out the HelloFresh market for a curated selection of quick breakfast, lunches, sides, snacks, desserts, and more. It is a one-stop shop for all your mealtime needs, not just dinner. Mm-hmm. Hey, you you can get what whatever whatever meal that you need the you know some a little bit of peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can, you know, let HelloFresh handle that meal for you or exactly. multiple meals. So I know my my kids, I always say this, get super excited when they see that HelloFresh box on the on the front steps because they know, hey, tonight's dinner is going to be delicious oh yeah it's, it's going to be fun to prepare and it's probably going to be something we've never tried or never tried it this way right um right. which which is cool because with the kids you know if if i tell them we're having something that's a, a lot different they're going to be a little skeptical oh sure okay yeah. but if i can say hey we're having cheeseburgers tonight but instead of just regular old american cheese we're gonna be stuffed with gouda and they're gonna be on a pretzel bun and now they are like this is just gonna make the the average cheeseburger that much better Mm -hmm. i love those those gouda stuffed burgers that they have that's one of our favorite meals and the sweet potato fries Oh. oh wow yeah i mean it's it's out of this world but you know, if you're worried, eh, you know my kids aren't gonna trust me. Your kids will love it. Oh yeah. In fact, in fact, y- you will you will have so much peace of mind by letting your kids help, or like I've done, let them make the whole meal. Uh huh. Y- you get the night off out of the kitchen. Let the kids make it. Exactly. It's a great thing. So all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code 
Graveyard 16. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. That's right. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code Graveyard16, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, and you can get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Well, and we talked about, uh, when we talked about the lesser-known cryptids, the Kongamato. Yeah. Uh, It is a Mm pterodactyl-like creature. Yeah. Uh, We mentioned the Ropin. Um, There are stories of the Thunderbirds that, especially around Texas, that are said to look like pterosaurs or or like the Quetzalcoatlus. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I... I uh, like like I've said many times in certain areas I can 100% see that these creatures have gone unnoticed and are possibly living there like Africa or possibly some of the small um uninhabited towns in Texas or something like that and and we know they have well, we assume that they had large feeding areas, hunting areas, because they were such large creatures they had to. So who's to say that the Van Meter visitor wasn't exactly that? A visitor that was stopping in on some migration pattern or something from another maybe less populated area and just happened to stop there in Van Meter and right. moved on. And that's right. why you went so long without sightings is because it, it just didn't come back through or it did and nobody saw it when it came back through. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is a good possibility. Um, you know, again, you have to open your mind to this. Sure. Um, but with so many sightings, uh, around the world of of large winged creatures, it it just kind of makes you think that there's there's bound to be something, right? I mean, there's bound to be. And and what I don't like, Matt, I I told you I wanted to talk about this a little bit. What I don't like is you know me, I don't like the mass hallucination, um, debunking strategy, right? Where it was just people everybody hallucinating the same thing well there there's a guy matthew sharps he's a professor of psychology at california state university fresno and uh, he researches eyewitness memory and he says one person's account grows at it as it is passed on now i'll give you that um you can have things added to a story or changed or whatever over time Mm-hmm. But the thing that he says that I don't like that I, I wanted to get your take on, too, was he says, quote, the story becomes part of the memory. And he's talking specifically about the Van Meter visitor here. He says the story becomes part of the memory. Obviously, these things aren't real, but people really see them. So they behave toward them as though they are real. They are eyewitness memory errors. 
people with tendencies toward depression, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, or disassociation are more, more prone to see UFOs or creatures, his research shows, and the encounters can be harmful. Hmm. I don't yeah. like I don't like his assessment there of that. Um because he's saying the only people that see these things are people with disorders. Right. And we know from a lot of our research, that's not the case. You've got prominent people seeing these things, people in their right mind, and they see them and pass them on. But he's saying, no, that's not what my research shows. So I I wanted your take on that. Well, I I agree with you because I I think what are the chances that all of these individuals that were involved in the 1903 sightings suffered from some disorder, mm-hmm. um, even you know could be different disorders, but all would see the same thing, right? Right. And and I guess, you know, some people can go back and go, oh, well, they all just took the original story and whatever it was, that's what they had in their head when they saw it in, in the subsequent nights. Maybe, but the descriptions are are, are pretty specific, especially yep. when it talks about how it was sitting on top of a telephone pole. And it used its beak to climb down. Um, that's pretty specific. Right. And I'm not you sure why you, you were... would include that unless you saw that. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. You would think if you were just making it up, that wouldn't be part of your uh, your description of the encounter. You would say it hopped down. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't say it, it moved like a parrot walking down the pole. Yeah. So I I don't. I don't like the idea that um, you would you would need to have some kind of disorder to see something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know that's not accurate at all. Right. Um, But especially in this case, you know, you're going to you're going to expect that everybody saw the same thing. Um, and, And I mean, I just think it's outlandish to. To even consider that. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I do believe that those men saw something. They, they saw something and felt threatened enough that they were going to shoot it. Um, yep. I, I think the idea there's too much, um, that, that eliminates the idea that it was a hoax by a person in some kind of suit, um, the flight being atop mm-hmm. a telephone pole, getting shot, yep. um, you know, the light, you know, they they didn't have that that kind of technology to produce that kind of light. Um, so, you know, I, I think you you can take that completely out. Um, but I, I I do like the idea that there is you know some large winged creatures, even if they are larger birds, that have been seen and maybe are described as different things depending on the area they're seen or the culture. Um, you know, native Americans would see the Thunderbird. Um, people in van meter, see the van meter monster people in, you know, uh, in Papua New Guinea, see a roping. Yep. Um, 
and it may all be the same creature or just slight variations of the same creature. Um, and it may not be anything all that, you know, paranormal. It's just, it, it it's like the heart of cryptozoology. It's something that we can't prove that exists yet. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. way, way too many sightings of, of these winged creatures for me to dismiss the Van Meter visitor. I know. I'm, I know. I'm with you. I think something was seen. Um, I don't like the debunking theories that people have on it. Um, maybe some of it was embellished, but I think there's too much evidence there to say that, you know, that you can't, you can't say that something wasn't seen by these people, some large flying something. Right. Um, so I don't know. Um, you guys know what we think. Yeah. So as we always say, what, what do you guys think? Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the story? Have you heard it before? Have you read it or are you from that area and just know the local legend? Um, let us know. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It is called the graveyard. You can, uh, go on Facebook, search graveyard tales and you will find it. Um, thousands of members, um, posting every single day. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to share some personal experiences, tell some jokes, have a good time. And it is a safe place. So you don't have to worry. There's, there's nobody in there going to be making fun of you or ta- saying that you're crazy. Right. Everybody just wants to hear these great stories. Right. Um, I saw a post the other day, Matt, that ties right into that. Um, somebody mentioned something. Another person said, well, you can't just leave it at that. You got to tell us what mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. And they said, well, because it is this group, I will let you know. That's right. And I went and looked at all the comments. Everybody was great. You know, just like they held up that graveyard tales ethos of even if you don't necessarily believe it, there's no reason to get nasty or Mm -hmm. talk bad about somebody. Just move on if you don't believe it. That's right. But uh, I I love that about our group. It's definitely a safe place to share your encounters. Yep. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can check out our webpage, which is uh, graveyardpodcast.com. And on our site, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. Get that new summer T-shirt uh, with the Skull Mike logo or the mm-hmm. the, uh, the pulp p- uh, poster that I have behind me now. Um, you can listen to the show. You can learn a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can become a patron. And we uh, we always take the time to thank everyone who has donated to the show. Uh, it really makes a difference in in how well Adam and I can can put out new content for you guys. Mm-hmm. And you guys are the reason we do it. Yep, exactly. So for Adam and myself, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.